Hi, welcome to Conversations in the Round. We'll get started in just a minute, but we wanted to take uh, a few moments to let you uh, reflect. Uh, we've got a worship song uh, we're going to cut in here, and I uh, hope you'll prayerfully uh, take that in, get your heart ready, and then we'll start talking. Welcome back. Here we go. We're going to talk today about suffering. Suffering. If you're following along with the Rooted series that we're doing uh, at Vista, it's chapter four, and we're kicking that week off. Uh, why is there suffering? Uh, uh, yes, that's the big question. Why is there suffering? If we could answer that, if we could, if we could answer that, um, maybe we could manage it a little bit better. The problem is, can we answer it? And even if you can answer it, it doesn't change the fact that it exists. And there's nothing. It's pretty hard to find the, the, the bright side, the upside, the suffering. Uh, there is some. We're going to explore all of those things here together. Um, I want to introduce to you uh, who's on the uh, floor today. We have Mary Clark. Uh, we're excited to have her be a part of it. Many of you know Mary. Uh, a lot of you knew um, uh, Tim. He was an elder at Vista. Um, we've only even just recently um, remembered it, the anniversary of his passing. I heard someone say five years. I thought it was six. It is six. It is six. Um, we missed him uh, dearly. Um, uh, he was a man of great faith, um, a man of action. Um, and uh, here's what we've discovered. Mary's that way. Uh, she's a woman of great faith, a woman of great action, carries a, a, a great load on her shoulders, uh, caring for all sorts of people in all sorts of different ways. We're so happy to have Mary be a part of our church. She was gone for a year? Two years and nine months. Two years and nine months. Uh, and 23 days. And 23 days, but who's counting? We, uh, for family, like she was getting closer to um, Krista, who was in Dallas, and her family, uh, real shortly after Tim passed, and we were sad to see her go, um, um, but ecstatic to have her come back. So, Mary, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, and this is Adam, who, you know, he's been a part of these. Um, so, uh, we're just going to jump right in. Is there a possible way that you could start a conversation on suffering on a light note? <laughs> I know you can't finish it that way, so we're going to start it that way. And I've asked uh, these guys to come uh, with some memory of, uh, for, for lack of a better way to put it, pain, some kind of pain in your life that has a, it's funny on some level. I don't know if pain is ever funny, maybe in retrospect. I'll, I'll start it. I'll start. Yeah. Okay, so this is what I mean. Um, I could just say this. I went to the summer, I went to the, I went to the emergency room seven summers in a row. From the time I was like six until I was 13. Seven's the number of completion. It is the number of completions. <laughs> Seven summers in the road to the point where I remember when the fifth or sixth one came and I came in and was injured. I remember my dad looking at my mom going, are you going to take him to the ER? Or am I there was no panic anymore. It was like, oh, yeah. he's hurting me. I'll just leave it at that. I was going to describe one of the injuries. But, yeah, I just, stitches, broken bones. I was that kid. Yeah. Constantly getting hurt. So, it's humorous. Yeah. I think, actually, the maybe the shock is that I didn't go to the ER as much as you did, as reckless as I was with my body. Uh, so most of the suffering for me 
it wasn't very lasting physically, but I might carry some emotional scars. So speaking of jumping right in, there's an emotional scar I bear. Um, my brother and I, well, I should say our whole family, we were visiting someone I don't know at all. My mom knows them, and apparently that was enough, and we needed to visit their home. And they had a farm, and uh -oh. they were, as farmers... <laughs> farm injuries can yeah. span a pretty wide the spectrum. Emo the emotional baggage in this case yeah. where... Uh, they raised uh, apparently a lot of cows, enough cows to fill an entire ditch with manure. That's what I remember, at least. And I also remember my brother and this boy, this mystery boy who lived at this mystery house, were easily able to jump this particular <laughs> ditch. And immediately my fear of missing out began to grip me very tightly, so I had to also jump over the ditch. But I'm three years younger and also... I've never been as tall as my brother. He, he is as tall as I would want to. He's three inches tall. And he said it was very easy for him to just make it across. So I tried, and I did not make it across. So I landed just about waist deep in the manure pit. Nice. Just as like you, as like cartoonish as you can imagine. That wasn't when you discovered it was a manure pit. You knew it was a manure pit. I can't tell you for certain the answer to that question. But once you were in, it was clear. It was after that. It was like, oh, that's what that smell is. <laughs> right. But it. The follow-up was even worse. It was like embarrassing because it was manure. It was embarrassing because I had failed where other people had yeah. succeeded. And then it was embarrassing because the obvious solution to everyone else was that I should take my clothes off. Oh, no. And so the ride home was just in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> I, felt very, I felt very embarrassed about yes, that. Yes, I can understand. I still sometimes think about, like, that was so embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, don't know. I should probably stop thinking about it. It was literally 35 years ago. <laughs> But yeah. I haven't stopped thinking about yeah, it yet. Yeah, that'll, it's got a lasting, that story has a lasting yeah. stench to it. Just like, yes, yes, yes. And when you smell the manure, oh. if you go out to the countryside at all, it's like, oh, yeah, that pit. Oh, oh yeah. that's bad. I didn't make it. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's funny. Yes. Mary? Well, I was never an athlete. I'll never be an athlete. I've always been a class. I have no problem with that. There's no emotional baggage. It's just a fact. Um, I love to watch athletes. Athletics, but I, I am not one. But maybe four years old, so I had a tricycle, but not short, cute, red, big, tall, blue, hunky tricycle. And I was tall as a four-year-old anyway. But so riding my tricycle and just around the yard, and somehow I ended up in the rose bushes. And not only did I go, didn't think to go through, remember clubs, I went over, right? So my suffering was Johnson Johnson. Oh, First aid green all over my oh, my low body after it was. You're both too young to remember, but it was a lot like Laugh In if you've ever seen no. R. D. Johnson yes. would yes. get the scope flood over on Absolutely. the tricycle, and yes. that was me. That was what happened. Oh, R. D. Johnson. <laughs> yeah, the rose bush. You should have picked like a. I don't know. Anything. Oh, it just goes right with yeah. the problem of being flat. So, yeah. There's no way to get out of that rose bush. Yes. No, that's right. My, my dad yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about suffering. Um, what would you What would you hope to accomplish at the end of an hour and 15 minutes? Do you know what I'm saying? It, it, like, what are we aiming at here? We can't eliminate suffering. Uh, what do people need? What, what do you think people need? What What? If we, if we could accomplish something in this time, what would it be from your perspective? What would you hope for? I think I would hope that uh, people would understand that this is part and parcel of the Christian life and that for whatever reason, 
said the Christian life. Did you did you say that for a particular reason? Did you say are you just You're saying right. life that's, in general? Yeah, that's true. Life in general. I'm not trying to correct you because I think there's a different because I think generally in life people accept suffering. Christian life, oftentimes there's this pre, this this idea that, okay, I'm a, I believe in God, so and He's big enough and strong enough to fix this. Why that it feels like I feel like suffering in the Christian life is sometimes Surprise. more surprising or complicated. That's true. Yeah, yeah, I can agree with that. Like, and maybe that's because somehow, whether that's seeped in via culture or just our human tendency to focus on particular slices of scripture we ignore that the overriding the overriding themes in scripture regarding suffering is that there will be suffering and that there's not actually promises that that can be avoided I think that um, maybe one thing we might say in terms of what we would like to accomplish then is to think rightly about maybe not just suffering but also the promises of God in the midst of suffering which I can only think of one very prominent one, which is that we won't be alone. Um, and maybe that's partly what you're talking about in regards to hope. I think that could be one of the very best things we could hope for in the midst of unavoidable suffering is that we won't be alone. Not just in terms of community relationships, but a transcendent sense of God being with us. Yeah. You know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, if you know, you're with me. And even the psalmist understands, I'm going to be walking through this valley at some point or at various points, but the most beautiful and good thing I can be mindful of is I don't walk through alone. And that's something you said earlier that I kind of wish I had said, is that sense that uh, suffering can be very, very isolating and perhaps the most powerful Christian Response and voicing we can muster is you're not alone. That would be part of the answer to the question of what would you hope this would bring about is that these people would realize they're not alone. Yes, that they're not alone. Uh, and I actually think um, <clears throat> there there's also a wake up call to the church so that the church would be the church. So so. No one would ever say, I am alone in this moment. Yeah. Actually, and that's where we come from. Uh, for instance, in Judaism, when you're grieving, it's literally built into their community that you must not grieve alone. There's liturgical responses to grieving with scripture reading and prayer. But for the first month of that grieving period, within you know Orthodox Judaism, uh, observant Judaism, you are required to pray, but you must not pray alone. <laughs> You're required to read scripture, but you must not read it alone. Every day when it's time to pray, when it's time to read scripture, your community shows up at your door. And then slowly but surely, they reintroduce you to the community. There's a moment at which they finally walk you around the block as a community. And they say, together we're going to be, we'll face the world again. Yeah. And it's like, that's, that was our DNA. That's who we Instead of saying, 
let's meet this head on as a community. We said, let's pretend that's not going to happen to us. And yeah, you said yes. And then Linda's answer, what were you? Oh, about the community, the importance of, of yeah. the church realizing that, yeah, they need, we need to step up and be there. Uh, one grieves individually, and that's important because grieving, and grieving is sometimes separate than suffering, so I don't mean to overlap the two, but uh, grieving is very individual. Everyone grieves differently, like the fingerprint, right? Uh, and at the same time, and you need that. You, it, one who doesn't spend time with God in solitude, working through the grief, struggles. But we also need community. You can't do do it well either way. Yeah, and, and it's really important that the community of believers wakes up and realizes we need to be there for each other. There's a lot of waking up that needs to happen around suffering, I think. I don't, I can't for the life of me figure out where Christianity, how it found its way into any kind of a space of suffering either doesn't exist or it can be avoided or I don't know how you can I don't know how you can even look at Jesus' life and the central figure of our Christianity, our namesake in our life, and conclude that there would be an absence of suffering. Right. His whole life was painful. Yeah. I think the American answer to that is we bought into the pursuit of happiness as 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 part and parcel of our yes. Christianity. Yes. It's as as, sorry. It's as though we packaged Christianity as an answer to the American dream. You want life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Well, I got a guy you need to meet. His name is Jesus. Yeah. And then you can have actually a part of it at all. Yeah. And you know, we imagined that we could buy a big enough house on a high enough hill with a strong enough gate that we could insulate ourselves from suffering. And then there's just there's just parts of life that are simply unavoidable. There is unavoidable suffering. And so at that moment, then we become dismayed. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's because we were s- selling something that, yeah, it's not good. That's any Christian. I don't believe in any perspective, any worldview that excludes suffering. Like, I, I can say that without a doubt, that that's my perspective. Life is painful. But I can attest to the pressures as a pastor of suggesting that if you come here, it's going to be less painful. You know? And, and, and even a part of my heart that wants to say, come to church and be comforted. Come to church and find what you can't find anywhere else. And that's true on some level, but there's this really gray space of trying, suggesting or trying to answer that person that has a need with, yeah, we can meet that. We can, you can find your way. That you can be healed. You can find. It's like all that stuff is true, but it isn't absent actual suffering. I've tried to also like. Okay, so this is a flip side of that same coin. I've tried to figure out how in the world you can have a growing church if the actual. With the actual message, which is, if you come here, we're going to deal with life honestly and straightforwardly, and it's going to be more painful than what you're currently doing. 
we're going to have you face, face your path. We're going to have you face your failures. We're going to have, we're going to pull all this out because it's what's killing you. You're trying to find, that's a hard message to sell. church to go forth into the world and invite people closer to Christ when the when the actual message is, well, if you come to Christ, it's going to be, it's going to be horrible. <laughs> I'm exaggerating. But. Yeah, you're, you're definitely teaching a more mature group of Christians that you're going to come at it that way. Yeah. So, mature in their faith, I mean. Yes, yeah. The attraction Somehow the attraction to Christ has got to be something. Uh, we're getting sort of, we're going, coming round about to get to the issue of suffering. But we're just saying, we have to accept it as a reality, not just of life, but of the Christian life. And potentially of the Christian life, possibly even more dramatically difficult. Because we're dealing with the truth. We're trying to deal with what is truly going on in the human soul. What's going on is painful. We've been rejected. We're going to die. That alone is a very painful concept. That's a grievous thing. Life is grief on some on some levels, right? To not deal with that, to gravitate away from that truth, is maybe one of the worst things you can do as a Christian if you're trying to suggest that we have the truth. I've been talking a lot about this lately in other contexts. You can't find your way to the truth through some kind of falsehood or lie. If you're trying to find your way to the truth, you have to tell the truth the whole way through. Well, the world's just not looking for that. I think we're just constantly looking for some way away from that truth that my life is painful. Yeah. Inescapably painful. But maybe on that path and through that difficult valley is a, a revelation that's essential where it's like <clears throat> I do maybe in some ways desire an easier life I desire comfort for sure but if I'm able to see through the roadblocks maybe what I can eventually come to understand is actually what I want most is God's presence it's, it's when Cain is banished from God's presence that he says my punishment is more than I can Genesis chapter 4. And then you see maybe the same sort of thing happening with Job. I mean, tremendous suffering. And this is may in fact be the oldest bit of scripture that we have yeah. access to, right? Is Job. And it, you expect at the end that God's going to give the big reveal. But he doesn't give an answer to Job. He does give himself to Job. His presence. And maybe what we can see in between the lines in terms of Job's response is that's what Job needed all along was God's presence. And I, so I think that there's actually a way in which this is sort of uh, transcendently comforting because what we find in the gospel story is the fact that there isn't somewhere God wouldn't go to be with us. I mean, depending on your, you know, your, your persuasion, you might literally say, God went to hell for me so that he could be with me. No matter what kind of suffering I was experiencing, he was willing to go there with me. Yeah. Put that in your words, Mary, when you say absolutely. What do you resonate with? Well, I was thinking of 
the Apostles' Creed. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, Jesus pours himself out on our behalf, right? And, um, and then our own human experience often feels very much like hell. I mean, there are pieces of it that sure. do. suffered quite a bit of loss. I have suffered a lot of um, death. Yeah. My man. Yeah. It's uh, ironic. But yes, my brother um, drowned when he was 18 and his body was never recovered. And so that was probably that was probably the first time that um, that I really grappled hard with Romans 8.28. You know. Yeah, all things work together. Yes. Because yes. yeah. everybody was throwing it at us. You know, mm-hmm. as a family, and because I've never been a parent losing a child, but watching my parents lose a son was. Were you younger, older? I'm older. Yeah. I was older than Mark. Yeah, by just almost five years. And were there other siblings? Jim. Yeah, he's six. Jim, I yeah, Jim. you've met Jim. Six years younger than Mark. So we're all kind of spread out, and now it's just Jim and I. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and then lost my dad and my mom. Um, of course, we know lost Tim. Um, our little niece, Lauren, died at four from RSV. So there's, like, <laughs> way too much death in our yeah. immediate family. Yeah. yeah we've all built it. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Can I, can I ask a question? Absolutely. Um, you mentioned that people were probably well-meaning, but throwing scripture mm-hmm. at you, in particular Romans 8, 28. Yeah. I think that's probably a, a, a recurring theme, and, and I, I do assume that people are doing this out of a deep longing to be comforting to you, but could you explain or eliminate moments that you actually did find? Before you do that, oh, sorry. I, wanna, I just want to attach that to what we just talked about. That is the very thing. They're uncomfortable with suffering. They don't want you to suffer. We're trying to avoid suffering. Let's look at this from a completely different angle. Of God's working all things for good, so the, the short message is stop suffering. You don't have to suffer. Right. Right. It doesn't. I want to say, so what if God's working all things for good? Great. I believe that. I'm suffering. It doesn't change this right. at all. Right. right. So I'm sorry to interject, but I think that just when you said that, they were throwing 828. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly what we're just talking about. Yeah. We are totally uncomfortable with suffering. We're trying to avoid it at all costs. If someone is suffering, let's look past it to something else. Sorry. No. Ask your question again. <laughs> no, that's good. I just, I, the, the last bit of the question is simply put, as maybe that might have been helpful in some scenarios or at a distance or after a while, what did you find actually helpful in the moment, if anything? Yeah. To kind of separate them out, I probably struggled with the, the line that we say, for God's glory and my, or for my good and God's glory. Yes. I, which I totally theologically understand that that's supposed to be true. <laughs> but when Tim was diagnosed with glioblastoma, I remember we would talk about this all the time. And and he would say that phrase, and I was like, using a different dictionary than I'm using. I don't see how this is for my good. And, uh, and, and he would concur. And after he died, and I was really walking through the grief deeply, I started just... Like spent a whole summer combing scriptures, you know, and um, looking at what did the, I mean, I'm kind of a detail freak, so looking at what the Hebrews say the definition of good was, and what did the Greeks say the definition of good was, and um, 
And I was comforted by that because I also put Romans 8.28 into context. And if you look at 26 and 27, I'm a mess and the Spirit is praying for me, right? Because I can't deal with this. And the Spirit speaks with his own words on my behalf. And then in 8.28, God has a purpose and this is good. But what the good is, is in 8.29, where I'm being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Then it was like, oh, I see this differently now. I yeah. mean, I don't, it's not Pollyanna-ish or something. Was there anything that um, was provided externally? Someone who came alongside beside you in a powerful way? so blessed. Um, I would say Jennifer Oswald, who you might remember, oh, yeah. Yeah, physician, Wonderful. dear friend of mine, and she said shortly after Tim died, she said, Mary, you have been a caregiver, and she said, you are body, soul, mind, and spirit, and she said, uh, your body is depleted, and you don't know it yet, and you will first have to heal before the rest of those parts of you can start to grieve. So she said, when everyone else seems like they're already to third base and you're still trying to get the first on grieving, you know, just remember that it's just going to take you time. That was really, really helpful. I've been able to pass that along to a lot of people. I found it to be almost prophetic for me. It totally turned out to be true. very wise. And, and was that as a result of the length of the, of the battle? Because you discover that that's the, the, the suffering related to Tim is, is physical on his part and emotional on your part. There's this like, recognition this is probably unsolvable. Mm-hmm. As soon as you get the diagnosis, he, I remember you saying, I know people who've had this. It I doesn't go well. Friends, it, doesn't, it doesn't go yeah. well. So now you're dealing with the, the terminal reality of it. This is my, my love of my life, my community is going to go away. That's the pain on top of that. Was it all of that the cause of the hurt? Of, what is she pointing at there, the physical? Yeah, that's a good question. I think Jennifer knows me well enough that she actually could see what I couldn't see. And, physically, uh, yes. That I was, that I was depleted. And, uh, and she was right. <laughs> it was really true. Uh, and, and, and which delayed the grief. Yes. Delayed the grief. Yes. So I'm thinking about my mom right now. My, my father passed just um, in September, and she's 75, he was 76, he was 80. Um, I think you get to that point, you're anticipating this a little bit more, right? Tim was only 62. Right. And so there is some, I don't know how much easier it makes it that you've been expecting, you know. I re- even remember friends of hers the same age that would drop by the week that he passed and they would be bringing meals and they, their, their perspective was much different. They're all in their 70s. Like people would not discompassionately, mm-hmm. is that even a word? Discompassionately? Something like that. Would say, we all got to go sometime. You know, at that age, you're, you're <laughs> yes, that's a truism. But I've noticed that my mom, that her grief is different obviously than my grief, but I've never thought that some of it could be delayed because of she was caretaking for him in many ways. He had Parkinson's and that sort of thing. So she, she you're, you're informing me now that she even is maybe physically even recovering from quite a long stint of life even. Yeah, she may not even realize she is. 
Yeah, well, she wouldn't. She's very strong. She's a right. farmer's daughter. She's just keeping on with life right. in many ways. Right. So yeah. I didn't mean to overshadow your whole point. No, no. But there is a, you were answering, is that there is a physical tiredness in the suffering that delayed even the grief? Yeah, Am I summarizing I so. that well? Yeah, I think so. Is there, you probably have follow-up questions, is there a difference, we've mentioned grief and suffering quite a bit, is there a difference, what's the, or what is the difference between grief and suffering? And there certainly is a difference, but we talk about it with so many interchangeably. I think there has to be at least a subtle difference, and admittedly, in terms of the varying degrees that human beings experience suffering, say at least in the small things the the physical things I'm like I can I can suffer the physical things it's that the physical things cause me to grieve that were more difficult for me say that again that that the, the, the physical endurance wasn't the things that I found challenging in the moments where I might have been physically suffering it's that those physical bits of suffering cause me maybe some amount of emotional grief. The loss of a particular kind of dream or the, the realization of the fleeting nature of things, those sorts of things, the emotional parts seemed more pronounced to, to me in the moments yeah. that I could point to. Do you resonate with that? Mm -hmm. you, what do you, what's your I was thinking more of, back to the suffering grief dif yes. difference. Uh, I think a lot of times we suffer but we don't necessarily but like a smaller, you were saying Shay suffered when his goldfish died when right. he was five. My little Aiden took his goldfish, who he had named Danger, and tucked it in his pocket to go on a family walk. And he <laughs> suffered as well when they got home and realized Danger hadn't made it on, you know, yeah. Really, yeah, in a while yeah. since he'd seen water. So yeah, a fish on a walk, not always good. Not a good idea, it turns out. Yeah. yeah. But was there, well, there probably was grief for, for Aiden, sure. right? So that's the reason I brought it up. Because yeah. you were saying, when we were talking via text and email, right. you were saying, you of all people were saying, I don't know that I've suffered right. no, I to don't. the degree that other people, and I think yeah. I don't know. I guess I had separated. I don't know many people that have suffered as much as you. So for you to say that, I just maybe, well, yeah, everybody's at a different level of grief and suffering. And I was referencing, just look at a, a child losing something. At that point in their life is right. a grievous thing. Absolutely. Grief seems like the, what happens to us when we as suffer. As a result of. As yeah. a result of suffering. But I want to say this too, though. This is something that I, I, I've had to learn quite a bit about grief, um, theoretically. <laughs> I have had very little that I've had to walk through. Thankful for my wife's um, understanding of grief theoretically as well as personally I've learned quite a bit from her it was a big thing for me to realize that life is in and of itself a grief of certain levels like what I mentioned earlier that we are all dying we all kind of know that but that concept a fallen world there's grief that I didn't even realize I was suffering grief I wouldn't allow myself to even use that word because of I don't I wouldn't dare say to someone, I'm grieving. What are you grieving? Not, well, just like, it's like, that just doesn't seem to add up. So I wouldn't even give myself, but it's true. Oh, it We're is. all grieving on some level. 
some, some of our griefs are much more evident, much more traumatic. We're all suffering from a certain level of grief. Not simply, I would say, not simply as a result of suffering, but because there is suffering. COVID's a good example. Just because there is suffering is grief, but it is resulting of some degree. What were you saying? Well, COVID's a good example of that in that the whole world is suffering to some extent from COVID. And the whole world is also grieving, but they don't know they're grieving. And so that would be really helpful if people realize part of the reason they feel like they're coming out sideways is because they're experiencing grief, grief. you know, from the suffering. And they might say, well, no, I'm not. Right, I, right. I di- I'm not diagnosed. I haven't had anybody close to me die, right. so I'm not. No, yes, you are. Yeah. Right. The whole world is suffering. Yeah. There's grief. So that background hum is identified in Scripture. One of the first things God speaks to after the fall is, from dust you are, to dust you will return. It's one of the the bits of knowledge that Adam and Eve have to carry with them out of the garden, that this is just true for us. We came from the dust, and that's where we're, that's background hum, so very much background hum. Hum. Mm, yes. Go back to dust. <laughs> um, yeah. Are yeah. you making fun? No, 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 I, no, I think it's perfect. I, I was being fun. But no, it's, like, it's a background hum, though, because it's like yes. you don't think of it all the time, but then when you do, it's like... Was I not thinking of this all the time? Well, yes, and I'm sure God was not mocking when He said it. But I can, I can, if I'm, I'm saying to Him, "Oh, you want to know the truth? You want to have your eyes open? Right? Here's the truth. You, how, how? There you go. I almost wish I wouldn't know that. I do. I wish I didn't know. But that's dangerous. I never want to know that I was going to die. I would never want to. Know that. I don't know how to. That's that's. I said to Tim one time, you probably heard me say this, I said to Tim, he was probably within months, maybe he was six, maybe he was 12 months into it, it was an 18 month battle of my recollection. 16. 16. Yeah. 16. So he was probably just a few months away from passing, not knowing for sure at that point. But I said to him, it was a Christmas program. Lewis's quote 
you don't have a soul. Or no, you don't, you don't have, uh, yeah. yeah, you are a soul. You, yeah, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You, you are a soul. You have a body. Yeah. And for those that are departing, the soul, the spirit is becoming more evident. Absolutely. The body is deteriorating. There's great, I mean, that's hugely comforting if you're able to embrace that. You know. Right. Right. We didn't quite finish. Um, we were talking about the difference between grief and suffering. They're obviously related. They're twins. You know, they, they come down the same path. You can't probably have one without the other. There is some differing difference. Suffering is a thing. Grief is a response to the thing. We didn't finish this. You brought this up. Maybe we did, but I want to come back. For my good. For God's glory and my good. You ne- that never got quite resolved. True. In this conversation or at all, right? Do you, how, do you, how did you eventually... Well, you did say that redefining good, scriptural definition of good. But let's talk about that a little bit. What is good about suffering? What is the definition? How does it... <laughs> how does it... How do we get this? How do we get good in the same room with suffering? Well, I hope that my answers won't sound trite, but I do think there is a, a, a sort of calibration that maybe takes place during suffering. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis describes it a bit in his book, A Grief Observed, upon having lost his wife, Joy Davidson. He talks about how his faith had been this house of cards and grief had knocked it over yeah. and then he would it would be rebuilt maybe a little bit better than before it just kept getting knocked over but the thing that he sort of observed about it is that he didn't realize how fragile his faith was how in need right. of calibration and refinement it really was and so it had gotten knocked over and so then there was this this sense of waking up to the changes that needed to take place uh, and that God I'm personally uncomfortable saying that God purposed or purposes things to happen, but I am very comfortable saying he brings purpose to the things that happen. Sure. And so this grief was a moment where you might say God accelerated his promises to transform C.S. Lewis or whoever into his image. Yeah. Um, and, and back to COVID, I, I actually think that it was one of the things that was most pronounced for me was uh, a wake-up call to say, well, there are things that are not right about my heart. One of the things I perceived very, very strongly early on was a sense of the world's anguish as it began to accelerate out of control. And uh, I had this sense of concentric circles of worry or grief or sorrow. And it's like, um, there's so many people around the world that I, I know and love. I'm very worried something could happen to them. And it's like, there's so many people in my school community that I know and love, and I'm pretty worried something could happen to them. And there's so many people in my church family that I know and love. And there's so many people in my family. I have a large family when you think of all the extended. And then I thought, oh, no, I'm at the center of these concentric circles of worry. Something's very wrong with me. (laughs) And it wasn't until I was grieving until I realized, actually, this very unchristian thing was true about this person who's been Christian his whole life, where I was at the center of the concentric circles of worry, and I needed to be woken up to that. I, I needed God to say, this isn't, this isn't what I had in mind for you, to put yourself at the center. And then maybe this is... By being at the center, meaning 
the pain of all of these people could affect me. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, then, and yeah, this could be very sad for me. Yes, and above and beyond that, or connected to it at least, is also something could happen to me. Yeah. Right? But but yes, like, the, somehow all of those stories had me at the center of them. Right. Yeah. And I, I was alarmed by that. Quite uncomfortable with it. Yeah. Point being, the suffering exposed weakness in your faith or, or, or uh, not weakness, but uh, immaturity or play room for development in yeah. your faith is what you were tying into C.S. Lewis's House of Cards. Yeah, and, and the, that House of Cards in me needed to be knocked down. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed in those moments was I'm finding myself turning to other things in order to find comfort. One of them was control. I was like, if I could just know everything that there is to know, then I will be impervious to this thing that's crowding into my life. And so I just realized I am actually not only in the center of the story, but Jesus isn't in this very important way. And I needed to know that. I needed to know that. And it's it's a little bit like what G.K. Chesterton says. He says, when when Christianity is found difficult, the temptation is to turn away to something else. But he says, but in heaven's name, to what? You start to realize, like, when I'm suffering, my temptation is to turn to these other things. But if I look at those things closely enough, I'm going to see a real emptiness. Whereas I don't think anyone could ever turn to Jesus truly and authentically and say that was empty. Mm -hmm. And so I I needed to learn that. And I, I, I don't want it to sound trite that there were things that got brought out of the suffering experience that. I don't know how that could be trite at all. How would you react? Would yeah, I was thinking, that? well, maybe a little differently, but when you were talking about the concentric circles, I was thinking a little bit about that double-fisted that we talk about rooted for this week, okay, yeah, you know, hanging on to your face. It comes from Hebrews, doesn't it? The double-fisted. I believe so. Double-fisted meaning, can you, can you summarize that? My takeaway was yep. I'm hanging on for dear life, yeah. to my faith. My, my view of it was that you have a double-fisted faith where it, there is, it's, it's hard, but it's also good. It's painful, but it's also transformative. Yeah. yeah. It's be, but anyway, your point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was just thinking in contrast to the double-fisted <laughs> and you want kind to of. Life, life. Yeah. yeah. So well, that's, a, that's a good view of yeah, the double. Yeah, 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 right. But with the concentric circles, um, for me, um, it was, there have been moments where I just have to open my hands, right? And maybe that's kind of what you're saying, where I just have to open my hands and saying, it's it's yours, Lord, it's not mine to carry. I can't carry. solve this. Yes. I can't yes. This. I totally relate to the feeling of it's me, that I'm the one that's responsible to take care of this. When I saw, like, my adult children grieving the death of their father, I can't feel that need as much. And they don't want me to, right? I mean, I'm their mom. That's what they're looking for. But it was, like as their mom, acutely aware of that, of just the sadness of that and wanting to fix it. And um, and I had like this wake-up call from the Lord of uh, remembrance of having Tim and I to, um, having dedicated them as babies, right? right? And at different points in my kids that, you know, grief, I don't know, sequence or process or whatever, yeah, but not all at the same time. This happens several times separately, but just I was able to re-remember 
dedicating them and what that looked like. And then I literally sat in my room and rededicated. Like I said, Lord, we, I already gave them to you. I remember that. And I, I and I've tried to take it back. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm trying to hold on and do it and somehow mm-hmm. fix it. And I can't. And so I had to, like, release that. It's a little bit like yeah. what well, you're saying. A, I think it's a really beautiful picture of the scripture that says, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. Yes. We're... Sometimes we think like, oh, therefore I won't grieve because I have hope. It's like, no, no, no. In the midst of grief, I turn to the hopes that are worth having. Yes. And that, that hope that God will complete a good work in us is a hope that's worth having in the middle of grief. Not to, uh, not to numb the grief or bury it or avoid it, but to have hope in the midst of it. said that when people say, how's, you know, how's your faith? I'm like, I don't know. I've not been tested deep enough to actually know the level of my faith. I actually fear that my house of cards would just fall apart. Like, I don't live under any delusion that I have a strong faith because I've been tested severely enough. You had Guillain-Barre. That's pretty scary, I think. Yeah, my French, my French disease. understand the definition of good from a biblical perspective. It has a transformative effect on your life. 
Um, what else is good about it? Um, it's temporary. We do know that. Suffering, you mean? Suffering yes. is temporary. Yes. It could be lifelong, but it's temporary That's from right. an eternal point of view. Right. There is something good in the future, which is moderately comforting. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the Apostle Peter talks that after you've suffered a little while. Or if you, right, so yeah. it yeah. can be a short period of time on earth, or it might be, Yeah. like you're saying, until you're taken to glory. Yeah. It's, we're limited in our understanding of its goodness, for sure. We don't understand all that's good from God's perspective. He says it's all good. Really, I'm up to something good. All things. We tend to go, that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. I can be grateful for that. I'm not grateful for that. That's terrible. And God's like, no, I'm good all the time. We don't see that, so we're limited in our perspective. We do have to sit in some seat of faith going, okay, I don't want to hear it early on in the suffering process, but it is true. God is up to something. Yes. And he's not to be plus. That's the other thing we it's have. Good. It's yeah, good. It's good. It's our English word of good. I think that messes oh, it oh, up. Oh, I see too. what you're saying. It's not. Yeah, he's not good he didn't just barely go above uh, average. It's great. Plus. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. I would rather give you no good is from God's like perfection. so many of those in the world, you know, I, children are dying, 
every day, multitudes of children are dying every day from cancer. There's unfortunate accident after unfortunate accident. It's all over the place. And I almost feel like Sarah was the, like a, almost the last straw for me, where if I said it in the extreme, which I, I'm saying this in the extreme, is God's not involved. He's not involved in the sense that he's changing this suffering world to any degree that can be statistically shown. There's a bell curve of suffering in this world and extreme cases of suffering, and but most of us are suffering on some level, and I just don't see God intervening. I believe he has the power to. I believe he can do it, but I don't see it happening at a rate that convinces me that he is responsive. And I'm not saying that he isn't. I'm just saying I had this reaction of he's letting this world rotate, roll and rotate the way it is with the suffering that exists. And there's all sorts of diseases and problems in this fallen world, which drives me back to the other thing about God, which is where we need to, we, we've talked around, is he's going to be there in it. He's going to walk through it with you. And somehow that has to be more important than him saving you from it. I don't know if I'm experiencing that to the degree that I should. And maybe God is pressing me to a right place where it felt negative to me at first to go this damaged my faith. And what it did was it just made me think God isn't as it isn't as concerned about rescuing us from suffering as I want him to be. It's just not. It makes me cynical, though. I don't even want to pray for him to come in. If, if God, just tell me you're not going to do it. I won't waste my time asking you to come in and change natural law or the natural effects of disease. I won't even ask. I don't want to ask you that. And I just felt bad for anybody within, really, any short-term period, losing Tim or losing Sarah, anybody else who comes in and says, hey, I prayed for God to change the weather and it changed. I'm like, just get out of here. I don't even want to hear that. Don't tell me that God answered a prayer about the weather and ignored a prayer about saving my friend's life or my elder's life or whatever. Do you understand what I'm saying? Rescue me for myself right now and talk about it a little bit. <laughs> I'm ranting. I do I do find myself tempted to, to answer, but I think sometimes it would be more God honoring for me to stay quiet. But that would be a very awkward. I'm fine with this. I think, you know, what am I saying, Mary? Well, I can tell you that you experienced two deaths back to back. You experienced your dad and Sarah, you know, yeah. which is a lot all at once. I think all of us just like, I mean, losing Sarah was terrible. It was just terrible, you know. I, I did the same thing that when I heard that she'd been taken by ambulance back to Ohio State. Man, I was just like, Lord, no, no. No, this one is no, no, no. This one. Yeah, no, what, you know, no, it's way too soon, you know. And yeah, it just still breaks my heart. like 
it's like Job. It's like God answering Job in chapters 38 to 41. Were you there when I, you know, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's a big, big moment oh in scripture my goodness. when God says, because Job, just like I just did, he's ranting. He's yeah. upset with God and then God eventually, this is my paraphrase, God eventually says, sit down and I'm going to tell you a few things about me you don't understand, right? So yeah. I do feel like I'm no, that's a, but it's a, that's a, it's a healthy piece to be able to speak out the angst within. That and certainly God works with that. I mean, look at Joseph dumped in the pit. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. I actually think there's something that is perhaps unique to Judeo Christianity there, which is to say, Judeo Christianity says you can rage. You can express your grief to God. You can question. He wants it. Yes. He invites it. And not to be too provocative, but could you imagine the same sorts of things being encouraged regarding Allah? Where the idea is, come into the heavenly council and speak your case against my divine judgment, my divine decision. Yeah. And yet this is something that God says, okay, now that we're in relationship, now we can work on this. Yeah. But if you aren't available to being heartbroken, mm-hmm. then, and, and, and not willing to even express that grief to God, then it's like, there's nothing Yeah, it's no surprise to God that I'm human, I suppose. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's, what, what does Paul say? Or even regarding the Jewish people rejecting Jesus, he says, my heart continually breaks. There's something very Christian about saying, I'm going to lean in again and be vulnerable again to heartbreak. Um, even in the circle of the mouth, turning the other cheek, perhaps at least a part of that is to say, I experienced a broken relationship, but it's not going to prevent me from trying again for a real relationship. And you can maybe extrapolate that to to a heavenly relationship with God where it says uh, my human tendency might be to shell up my human tendency might to be to suppress my grief or assuage my grief in certain ways but because God has said I should I'm going to speak my grief to him and then maybe in that relationship something good can, can come of it yeah. what do you think? well I mean in grief share we just totally encourage Psalms, which is all about that, which is just this complete, honest, yes. open, Lord, everything's wrong, yes. and go get them, <laughs> and, you know, and at the very end, you see the psalmist comes back to, yeah. and oh, I remember you are God, mm-hmm. you know, right? Um, yeah, living, lament, right, is all yeah. a, a piece of it, it's a very healthy piece of all yeah. of that, you have to express that. Well, you know, as Tim Good teaches, it comes out sideways if you don't. When my father passed, it took me a while to realize that I was not only grieving his passing, I was grieving the whole idea of death. It was actually more severe. That was more... more My dad was 80, lived a wonderful life, mostly 
almost all of our experience with my father, with all of our immediate family, is one of gratitude for him. And so, and a full life, and the way he went was seemed very merciful. And so, for me, it was more about the, the whole idea of death. Like, I find myself going, so he's just gone? <laughs> he's gone? He was here, and I think, whose idea was this? And most people are like, yeah, this is how life goes. And I'm just like dealing with these kinds of things for the first time, grieving the whole idea of death. I would suspect you will continue to grieve that and everything else that you'll notice you're you're missing now that he's gone. You know, it's a a long process. It's never done. You know, it's never done. Um, It's just that you learn to manage it. I see. Yeah, Yeah, I have a friend who says... You never get over it, you get used to it. Yeah, I don't know if that's, do you feel like that's yeah. true in your experience? But in, in that moment, maybe there's nothing more powerful uh, in terms of waking us up to the fact that things aren't as they should be right. than death. Yeah. And I imagine one of, the, one of the terrible things that's true in the world is there are people who have simply accepted the idea that the way things are, are just the way things are, just the way they should be. And that seems to me to be a a huge loss, to say that this is the way it is, it's the way it should be. It feels like disengagement. Yes, yeah. Where God is looking for engagement, not just give up, which is where I I feel like I was on a dangerous precipice there. It was like, okay, God, you're not involved, You, you you don't care. You just want to, you just want me to be transformed, grow up and learn and, and go through stuff and then I'll see you one day. That's why I was in this dangerous space of, and I felt like, okay, eventually it was like, okay, maybe not, maybe it's not that extreme, but the end point was the right point, which was, yes, it's, I am less concerned about fixing your suffering situation as I am about meeting you in it. God is, the fact that God's okay with that kind of pain is really hard to, it's worse when you think about children and young moms, you know, it's like the fact that you're okay with it, and it's like, okay, he's not okay with it, but he's allowing it when he could do something about it. I don't know how to say this, I'm saying it over and it means if God exists, and we know he does, then the fact that he is tolerant of that or quote okay with it does mean that the idea of what his presence being more important means it has to be monumentally more important yes mm-hmm. yes yes well much more than we have all these little trite things we say and I and sometimes and musicians license as well. Some of our songs become so, just like you were saying, you know, ourselves are in the middle of these songs. But I'm losing my train of thought. Um, what was the last I thing? I was you saying said? that it, it, if if it, God is not fixing it, right, and it's massively oh, yes, painful, that, waiting, that 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 must mean that what He is doing. Either the transformative part or just the being able to meet us in it. Yes. 
must be must be magnificently yes. more because this is, seems so wrong. Yes, yes, I agree. I think that's. I mean, I don't understand it, but I think you're right on the money because Romans five, James one. I mean, you see this progression of you, you have hope, but you have suffering, and to suffering character and perseverance, and yes. right, and you get hope out of that. I, I Romans yes. five, and then yeah. Yeah. anyway, yep. Depends how you follow the circle, but there is, uh, you know, there's suffering as an integral piece of maturity in Christ, and I, I don't understand either why that the suffering of like a, our dear Sarah, I, I do think that matters to him, right? But I don't understand why he allows that, but somehow he sees the end point, and that's the fact that he did allow it. A good, loving, compassionate God. Yes. If He allows this, yes. the reason He's allowing it must be way beyond our scope. And if we don't lean into it, we're missing. Yes. We're missing so much. And I, so what I feel like is I'm missing so much because I'm not yet experiencing. This still outweighs it for me. Like if you said to me, you can have the presence of God, or you can have Sarah back. I'm choosing Sarah. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? I'm choosing Sarah. But what that means is I I am missing out on something that God is trying to do in my heart and maybe everyone is missing out on something. Was, yeah, I mean, does that be making sense? Yes. Okay. Uh, I mean, there's lots of different ways to forget God. Maybe you forget him because in your suffering you have a sense that this is the straw that breaks the camel's back. Yeah. But the other end of the spectrum is also very much in play. In Proverbs, it says, Lord, give me enough that I won't have to steal, but don't give me so much that I forget about you. Uh, say that again. Uh, the, the, the proverb is, yeah. Lord, give me enough material. Sure. Give me enough that I don't need to steal, but don't give me so much that I forget yeah. about you. And I think that points to your idea here that somehow, some way, the highest good is to know God and be known by him. Yes. And if that way, route is suffering, it's still somehow the best. Yes. Which is hard to accept, but I think there are some, we say that it's hard to, it's hard to find answers to why there is suffering, but there, I think there are answers we can take off the table, which you were just alluding to, which is, it can't be because he doesn't love us. Yeah, right. The reason we suffer cannot be that he simply doesn't love us enough to keep us from suffering. It doesn't, doesn't the cross unilaterally dispose of that option? Yes. I think it does. So whatever the case may be, if the answer is unavailable to me, at least I can know the answer is rooted in love. And maybe that'll have to be enough for a while, and I, I'm afraid maybe it'll have to be enough for my entire physical existence. But I, I think you're right to say Christianity says that the highest good is well above and beyond simply avoiding suffering. Yeah. Or even well above and beyond having an answer for suffering. The highest good is yeah. to experience God's presence. Yes, absolutely. And we do even in the suffering. I mean, the Holy Spirit definitely encourages and comforts and comes alongside. And often the community does as well. Even though we began the discussion by saying the community needs to do more. The community needs to be aware. Oh my goodness. 
which says God and evil can't coexist. And essentially, the the dis, the, the feeder to that argument is God may have a morally justifiable reason for allowing evil. Mm-hmm. We might say suffering instead of evil. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what you just said. Morally Basically, there's, there's something greater um, um, that that justifies morally his yeah. decision to allow. Which is the richest interpretation of what is often used in a very trite way, Romans eight twenty eight. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right. That's the richest way to take that as that truth is to go, oh no, God, this is I was just I was thinking about this story. It's a very profound story about a man who gave his daughter uh, a set of fake pearls when she was four, five, six years old. They were they were super meaningful to her. And when she got engaged to be married, um, he said, I want them back. What she didn't know was that he had bought real pearls at the same time. And he was going to give her those in exchange for the fake ones. But he didn't tell her that. She had to trust him. And with tears, she finally gave them back. This replica. And he gives her this, and it's a whole different deal. And I feel like that's the God's just like... This experience of life, you think you know what you want me to do. Rescue you every single time you're suffering and make this earth into something that it's not. But I have something better. It really does come up. To handle suffering well is a faith exercise through and through. We have to trust that God has some other purpose even for what we might consider to be horrific. Absence and silence. It just seems maddeningly wrong at times. Yeah, it might be it might be the place that faith departs reason. Where faith goes up goes beyond reason. I mean, I'm one who would say that faith and reason are in relationship to one another, informing one another, shaping one another, but maybe there's a way in which faith goes beyond which says, I know that reason would tell you that avoiding suffering and being insulated from anything that might harm you is better, but I'm actually telling you beyond reason that there's something beautiful and good available to you even because of suffering. I think we, we see this in smaller ways throughout Scripture
what's on the paper in front of you, what's in the brain inside your head that, um, that maybe we haven't covered? Yeah, look, that we haven't covered that you felt like God really wanted you to bring to bear on this. Only one. Only one thing. Okay, let's do it. Yeah. Well, and it's back to that kind of double-fisted, um, that idea and opening of hands. And uh, it's looking at the word dwell, and we see both in the Old and New Testament, but dwelling to me is kind of that double-fist, like hanging on, right? And dwelling is, um, has the understanding in, in the Hebrew of tabernacle of both protection and communion with God. Okay. And so to dwell or to abide is a real similar word in, in the Greek, so in John 15, with the vine and the branches. But there's something incredibly comforting to me about that amidst suffering, that that's part of this approach of this double-fisted idea of, like, for me, yeah. which I interpreted as yeah, just hanging on, on, right? I'm dwelling. I am in that. And the, but the, it's not me dwelling, that the, that the Lord is tabernacling with me, right? That he is the one that is yeah. also dwelling. Um, yeah. And then the other piece of that, the open hands, was the idea of pouring out what you were doing, the pouring out of your soul, the pouring out yeah. of your hurt, the pouring out of all of that, because he pours in. He pours in the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You see that over and over and over of yeah. him pouring in the Holy Spirit again back in Romans 5 yeah. elsewhere. But yeah, so those two That's pictures awesome. for me were helpful. Um, Pastor Jim used to say that you should never come to the Lord with a, with a full cup. You should be pouring out, whether it's resource or emotion or sadness or joy, you should be pouring out because of the love God wants to pour in and refill. This idea that we have to hold on, grip on to stuff, or hide what's really going on is just a violation of God's intention is to meet with you, to dwell, to embrace. Dwelling is presence, right? It's, just, it's a different way of Anything you felt like was unspoken, undone, that you had thought of in advance that we hadn't covered? I mean, I had definitely some thoughts that we didn't bring up. I don't know if some of them will feel like out of left field or something, but maybe one of the things I would say that maybe balances against some of even what I've said in our conversation is in the midst of trusting God regarding suffering, I don't think it is right and good for a Christian to give in to suffering. As far as I can tell, we have this privilege of being human. We're situated between the rest of creation and God, and I think in a lot of ways the thing that separates us from creation is that we can actually become, if the scriptures are to be trusted, more like God. Like Romans says, to be conformed to his image. And if there's anything that I think speaks to the image of God, it's raging against the darkness, fighting back against the chaos. So on the one hand, there's a faith position that says, accepting, accepting it, I trust you. Yeah. But in the midst of suffering, but there's also a sense that says, I trust you. I've seen uh, in the scriptures and maybe even in my own life, I trust you that always fighting back against that's a great difficulty of life that's That's also good yeah like I think we mentioned in conversation before 
Yes, yes. I don't have a control group over here that sees this is what life would be like if I didn't pray. Right. Or if God did me, I can't see the difference. Right. But there's enough stories collected by, like, really excellent scholars who are saying, like, these are confounding moments that I can only explain as a miracle. And, you know, those sorts of moments where I say, okay, maybe the way that God intervenes is always precariously balanced as an invitation, which is to say, he doesn't present himself to our world so forcefully as to coerce us. Yeah. But it's an availability that says, come to me. He, he knows, he knows that when he, if he intervenes, we're going to lock in on that. Yeah. And, and want that own. more than him. Like, the, the day that he does the miraculous catch of fish... He's sitting with the disciples, and he says this really powerful thing. He says, do you love me more than these? Yeah. And there's no indication there of what exactly he means by these, but there's a lot of things in that scenario that we could love. One another, the miraculous catch of fish, the food that he made. He says, do you love me more than these? The implication is, even the miracle, do you love me more yeah. than the miracle? Yeah. I, I want you to love me. So for him to intervene comes back to our point is he's redirecting his actual greatest desire is for us to come to him. Yeah, because it's disastrous otherwise. Think of your example is a great example, and another one from Axis, the sorcerer who says, I want to purchase that. that. I want to own that. And how disastrous is it to want the things of God but not want God? Yeah, and if and if and we do see intervening as the highest good of God. That's the, that's the problem that I'm trying to wrestle with is he's saying, no, that's a one on a scale of 10 when I intervene. You see it as a hundred, but there is so much more than that. And if you get locked on this, if this is the answer, if I enter your prayer that way every time, you will never get the... What do you think, Mary? Be anxious about nothing. Well, I... Um, yeah, no, to- I totally... I- I think the Thanksgiving piece of it is always the way I always get through that is I'm just like, I can always be thankful for Jesus. Like, no matter what's going on yeah. around me, I can be thankful for Jesus in that context where I'm not supposed to worry. Um, I, I was just going to flip back to James 1 again really quickly, but I just kind of had this, and I know it's ridiculous to say you have an epiphany because, but anyway, I, I really, truly, like, woke up wrestling with this as I was starting to wake up, you know, but like, consider it all joy, brother, consider what you know, and I was doing James in my head, and and knowing I'm waking up, and this is just a few weeks ago, knowing I'm waking up, once again, there's no Tim, and this, you know, it's, yes. we're, here we go, we're, you know, gotta do this, and, um, what a horrible, I've, someone told me about this, because I've not suffered it myself, about waking up and having to reacquaint yourself with this truth that you don't want to be acquainted with. Yeah. You have to wake up every morning. Oh. Yeah. Well, especially if you dreamt about them the night before, oh, then it's really hard. I'm yeah. sorry to No, no, no. No, but the, it goes with um, with Philippians in that I just had this thought. It was like, oh, Lord, I get it. Mm. I get, I get, consider it all joy. I said, but it is you. I know you better. I know you so much better. You know, I could just... Like, so I just try to stay there yeah, <laughs> rather right, than right. regret. Which is where this verse goes. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, 
and I would extrapolate, in, in these anxiety-provoking situations, don't be anxious, but by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, knowing I'm up to something better, present your requests to me. And this is what I think is the most fascinating about the verse. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You will have the peace of God, the presence of God. Where we want that to go is, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and I will fix it. And that's not even there. It doesn't, that's not even part of the equation. Is you just make the request. I say, God, please rescue her. Please rescue him. Please rescue me. Please rescue us. Please step in. Please step in. And we think the equation goes like this. And then he does. And then we have, and then we know God. But that middle piece is missing completely. He's saying, look, just make your request unto me. You engage me. And you will have what you are looking for. I don't have to do the middle thing. We want the middle thing. I wonder how many years Paul wanted the middle thing. Like, for how many years did he have to suffer? Like, in the context of Philippians, uh, some scholars think he's been abandoned in jail by his friends. He's suffering. What if Paul had been writing this at 20? I wonder if he would have written the wrong thing. <laughs> I, I actually find it really encouraging to think like how much Paul matures, even in the middle of his ministry. Is yeah. this weird to say? Like He writes Galatians. Some people think it's his first letter, and he's very angry. <laughs> yeah. and he's pretty it's immature. It's a he's a little immature. He says things that people shouldn't say. <laughs> right. And then as he gets sure. into his ministry, it's like, wow, God's even changing Paul. And God's using the fact that he's changing Paul to change us. And yes. maybe he actually is using all yeah. things for good. It's a great segue. Yeah. So we have to wrap it up. I'm going to repeat what I think God just put on my heart to say here. We want the middle thing. The middle thing is this world that we live in, which is suffering. It is where we live different degrees of it, but we all are suffering on some level. We all are experiencing the grief that comes from that suffering. And sometimes God's going to step in and do that middle thing. But the more important thing is to trust that God is up to something. It doesn't always feel that great. Sometimes it feels horrific. There is a peace and a presence of God that is available in the midst of it all that he wants to give us. If we would have the courage and the faith to engage the world the way it is and him in the process. Is that fair? Thank you so much for being here, Mary. Oh, you're so welcome. I hope I've given you enough time to talk, and, and I imagine the answer to that is I did absolutely did not.
is some purpose to it. Um, and we don't say that um, without an awareness of the tragic parts of it and the painful parts of it, but we want to be in it together. Uh, thank you for being a vibrant part of this church. Love you. Appreciate you. God bless you.